You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. This season of the Crummer Hour is dedicated to examining service as we meet with Rollins and Crummer alumni who are serving the Crummer community as well as the community at large. Today, our guest is John Henry. He's the executive director of the MyCare Connect Foundation and current vice president on the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. His background is in business technology solutions with a focus on transforming healthcare through mobile platforms and innovative communication. He graduated from Rollins College in 1988 and received his MBA from the Crummer School in 1990. So I'm here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Terry Castillo, MBA 2021 and training and development manager at Orange County Clerk of Courts, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, Papa Koji, current student in EA MBA 39, and I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. Hey, Clara. Hi there. Hi, thanks for having me. So in a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with John Henry that was broadcast this past November. But before we do that, I want to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts about what the audience should listen for. So uh, Kyle, you're up first. What should the listeners check out in this interview? Yeah, I, I think it's really inspiring to see how John identified a problem that was very personal to him, and then he went ahead and found a solution to it. It's a great story. Very nice. Terry? Yeah, and it was really great to hear John's story about My Care Connect and how it's helping families regain some time. Awesome. Um, Papa? Definitely listen out for John's commitment and dedication just to serving others in every way he can. Yeah, that's very inspirational as well. Um, and for my own part, I really loved how John described the difference that that technology made in his relationships with his own family. Um, to me, that was just such a key part of the story. So definitely lots of things to check out in the Crummer Connections interview. And then in the second half of the show here, we're going to actually have John Henry here with our panel to discuss more of his views on service and his career with MyCare Connect. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, first, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. The first segment is called Service is Personal, and it lets us understand our guests' personal motivations for leading and serving. So the next thing you hear will be host J.B. Adams welcoming our guest. So let's get started. John Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Thanks for being here. I want to make sure our listeners know you currently serve as the Vice President of the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. And I want to just start by asking John, what's your philosophy of service and what does it mean to you to serve others? Absolutely. Well, I'll take a cue from Mr. Rogers. He was inspired by the life is for service plaque there on campus. And, you know, I think everyone can bring something to the table. You know, the key is figure out how to get to the table first, right? You know, whether you're a student graduating and you're not sure you want to do, there's service year opportunities. If you're in a job, you know, seek opportunities to serve others, be giving of your time, okay? And I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the long Harvard study on happiness and social interactions have proven that's what makes you happier and healthier. And I did find a factoid, 50% of Americans are lonely. They have no meaningful connections. And so there's a cure. Let's just go out and, and give of your time. Now, John, do, would you say that you always knew this or you sort of happened upon it uh, over the course of your life? Where did this philosophy come from for you? Uh, uh, kind of a mix. I, I knew through volunteerism in my family and some things I did undergrad, I, I got great reward. Uh, but, but, you know, then you get busy in the, in my career, I've had opportunities to volunteer my time. And, you know, then it resonated that that's what makes you happy at the end of the day. It's inspiring. Um, all right. So we also have some listeners who 
are out there in the Crummer community, maybe Rollins alumni, maybe Crummer alumni as well, who want to understand better what the Alumni Board of Directors for Rollins College does. Uh, Tell us ab- more. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two dozen of us. There's also two student representatives. And so we span seven decades, you know, and a variety of careers uh, across the board, as you can imagine. So the purpose it serves, we're really supporting advancing the Rollins mission. And they have strategic initiatives. You know, there's a plan and it's always revisited and always constantly evolving. So we actually partner with a couple groups, the Office of Alumni Engagement, and then the Division of Institutional Advancement. And we serve as ambassadors, you know, and advocates of their programs, right? They have engagement programs, volunteerism programs. There's lifelong learning. We need to let our alumni know about these. In fact, I'm auditing a Crummer class this fall in social entrepreneurship. So I'm excited that we have these opportunities, but we need to be those ambassadors and advocates and let our alumni know of all these great things happening at Rollins and Crummer. And just to take it one step further, because I'm kind of concrete and practical when I want to be, uh, <laughs> what, when, you, when you see the work come to fruition, what is the evidence? What, what do you see? What do you hear that you know that you're making a difference? When you oh, see my gosh. Wow. Let me tell you. They, they, they don't do anything lightly. Every program, every initiative has metrics and ways to gauge impact. We're in the middle of gauging alumni thoughts through a survey, right? And, and so some of these programs that we, we help support, you know, we're collecting data and, and we're able to, to really see you know, or what are we doing right? What can we do differently? So there's really data behind a lot of it. That's how we know there's proof in the pudding there. People are so happy, like, that show up to events, and they're so thankful that there is this alumni group. You know, we had a tornado come through Dallas. It was a big deal. I know it got national news, and and I found an alumnus that was right in the path and reached out to him. And he could not believe that Rollins cared. You know, I was like, what can I do to help? Do you need anything? So, you know, we are really ambassadors and advocates of these programs. For those alumni out there who are interested in actively volunteering and getting engaged, it's not just the board of directors. There are other ways that they can participate in the Crummer, or excuse me, in the Rollins community. What options do they have? Yeah, just all through the Office of Alumni Engagement. That the, These are the programs that we're shooting out to everybody and saying, hey, do you want to be a mentor? We have this new mentorship program. Click here. Um, if you call the school and say, I know somebody that was looking for interns, right, uh, in their legal practice, call the school. We'll make it happen. Uh, it's, it's just ma- doing that reach out. But but half the battle is letting them know these are the three or four or five opportunities to engage with the school as, as an alumnus. Excellent. We're going to make sure that uh, everybody out there knows what their options are so that we can help them get involved. John, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So we're going to dive into your backstory so that we can better understand your early business influences. So, John, where were you born and raised? I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, the city or the suburbs? The city. I, I that, on my birth certificate it says Philadelphia, so I have to type that out all the time. Right in the city. And yep. what generation do you identify with? Well, I'm technically Gen X, but I'm always trying to identify with Y and Z since I have younger kids. <laughs> but always, and that's that's a challenge. I I find that fascinating that you try to identify with younger generations. Uh, I think that's everyone's ongoing challenge. Um, Tell us what your parents' occupations were. Yeah, my father, he was in the paper industry his whole life, 50 years. Um, The last company and the longest company he was with was International Paper, the behemoth. Uh, My mother actually graduated from Rollins in 55. She went on to Columbia and got her master's in English. Gosh, she worked at a bank. I remember she taught at a special education school. And then we moved from Philadelphia to Florida. 
1980. Gosh, she worked actually at Rollins in an administrative role in the president's office at that time, Thaddeus Seymour. But her, her passion was the Winter Park Arts Festival. She loved working on that. So there's some of that volunteerism. Uh, I was going to say, how did your parents influence you? What did you observe them doing that you think rubbed off on you that you continue to do? The strong work ethic. I mean, just committing the time, being there. Um, I'm a really punctual person. Uh, <laughs> I think my parents were... Um, so really, you know, and they, they had a, a variety of, of roles. They moved around um, and did different things. So, yeah, just working hard, having that good work ethic was, at least for my parents, you know, what influenced me. Although I did, you know, I wanted to be in business, you know, for myself. Uh, you know, I didn't want to wear a suit and tie. Okay, well, let's go there. So uh, you said Generation X. I'm making an assumption you were an undergraduate student in the 1980s, sometime during that decade. Yes. And what was your undergraduate major? Political science. And I did study French. I did a semester abroad in what in was France. Your, what was your career aspiration at that young age? I didn't have any. I wasn't aggressive in my job hunt, I'll be honest. And that's really what, why I decided to get my MBA. It was either law school or uh, go get my master's. And uh, the LSAT was a little tougher than the GMAT. So okay. <laughs> I, I really hadn't decided. I didn't know. And I think a lot of kids today don't know. In fact, if you know, you know, that's such a blessing. It's rare. You're on your trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided to get, you know, my MBA there in, in 1990. And when, by the time you were studying for your MBA, did you start to develop an interest in something? You know, I really liked the marketing. My favorite class actually was a law class, of course, which they offered back then. I don't think they do that today. Mm -hmm. And so you know, I still was kind of searching, like, how can I do something on my own, right? And and I'll be honest, the job market in 1990 was awful. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have been better off in 88, <laughs> but 90 was bad. I was interning at IBM while I was at Crummer, you know, and I've, I'll be honest, hated computers, didn't get it, <laughs> wasn't my thing. But, you know, I figured IBM would, would offer me a job. And so, you know, I just kind of, kind of waited on that. I, I do remember I flew to Manhattan over spring break of my last year. A Rollins friend of mine worked there. His father was a C-level executive. Worked at IBM? No, no. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, God, Manhattan. Um, yeah. For Merrill Lynch. Okay. So, and, and I had also interned at Merrill Lynch there on Park Avenue. Wow. Okay, wait, John, I'm going to ask you to back up. Okay. Here's where we left off. You were interning at IBM. Yep. And you didn't care for computers. Yep. But you thought they would give you a job. So we, we got that. What happens after that? Yeah. So I was doing that, but I, I, took, I, I took an opportunity to go to New York. My friend said, hey, come interview my dad. We, we've got this all worked out. You'll, you'll work with me on Wall Street. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I went there and, oh my gosh, I'm going to sound awful. I hated it. The interview went horrible. <laughs> you know, I was questioning, you know, why do I want to work for the man? Right. IBM, Merrill Lynch, those were my, you know, internships. So, and I'll skip ahead, I guess, you know, as graduation neared, EDS came calling to Crummer. EDS was in a hiring mode back then. And okay, EDS, tell, everyone, tell everyone what EDS was. Yeah. So, so, well, listeners may remember Ross Perot. Ross Perot founded Electronic Data Systems. Great. Computers again. But I, I took the job. You know, I was like, I got to take this. So I took a job. I was supporting one of their clients, which was a UK financial services outfit. Uh, their U.S. operations were in Lansing, Michigan. So here I am, not big on computers, was kind of 
disenfranchised a little bit with the high finance world. And now I'm doing both, right? <laughs> I make computers and I'm supporting a financial services organization. Luckily, I was on the business side. I was a, I was a business analyst. So I would be able to tr have to translate the business requirements of this organization and work with the techie guys to, to make it happen. So now just out of curiosity, once you got into it, there was something about it that you loved. What did you love about it? Well, first and foremost, I loved the team environment. You didn't work in isolation. So you worked with, you know, your client, you worked with other business analysts in your own company, you worked with leadership. I got the opportunity to sit in C-level meetings and just absorb how that all works. So I grew to to appreciate what I was learning on a daily basis. It wasn't my thing. I, I knew ultimately that is not going to be my, my future <laughs> with an asterisk. We'll, we'll get to that later, which was computers and high finance. But, but again, I was on the business side, learning great skills. Um, you had to do presentations. So your speaking skills were getting more and more refined. Um, uh, little technical skills, and then certainly a ton of business skills. And as you think about this time in your transition from four years of undergrad, two years of graduate school, and finding your way into an early career, what advice would you have for people who are going through that transition themselves? Yeah, I, I, I would say the takeaway is just what happened to me. Hey, it's not going to be that perfect job but you got to trust it's a springboard. It's a path. And whatever you're passionate about will happen with hard work and, and time. So, you know, patience is a virtue. Uh, I had that work ethic inside of me to work hard and, and it was, it was trust. I just knew I would find that, like, like I said, hey, I, I didn't want to work for the man. I didn't want to wear a suit and tie. I'd prefer, you know, shorts and flip-flops. And that's what I'm wearing today. <laughs> so it all comes back. Sometimes I have to dress up, but <laughs> yeah, it comes back. So yeah, just, just, just trust. Our guest is John Henry. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about his transition into creating the MyCare Connect Foundation. We'll be back in a moment. As a member of the Crummer community, you know that it's the people you meet at Crummer who make the greatest difference in your career. So I wanna tell you about Rollins Connect. It's a networking platform that will help you stay connected to over 40,000 Rollins alumni worldwide. And it's available right now. Please go to rollinsconnect.rollins.edu Check it out, and if you need someone to connect to, connect to me, J.B. Adams. That's Rollins Connect, your connection to the Crummer community. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm J.B. Adams. Our guest is John Henry, Executive Director of the MyCare Connect Foundation and current Vice President on the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. Before the break, we were chatting about uh, John's early business influences and his transition into the world of work. And now we're going to learn more about his professional journey. So, John... First of all, we just want to know, what is MyCare Connect? What does it do to add value? MyCare Connect was born out of a, a need, right? My six-year-old daughter was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, you know, some of the signs might be sluggishness, weight loss. Um, you know, our, our daughter was sleeping a lot and had been losing weight. Mm -hmm. And one, one day she... Um, fell asleep on the couch and, you know, we just went to the bathroom, you know, released urine. And, mm -hmm. and I was like, this isn't right. Take her to the pediatrician. Luckily, we had a great pediatrician. He checked with a simple finger prick, saw her blood sugar was through the roof and said, your daughter has type one, mm -hmm. go to the emergency room right away. I was at work. I remember getting mm -hmm. that call and uh, rushed down there. And, you know, then, then the future is, Again, I'll start from the beginning. It's scary, right? There's a lot of information you need to know. It's the only disease known to man where you are making multiple dosing decisions every day with a drug that can kill you, right? So, you know, you've got to record your blood sugar every 
time you put food in your mouth and sometimes in between six, seven, eight times a day, right? And then you're counting every carbohydrate that goes into your body. Those are the two pieces of data that you know that tells you how much insulin to take, right? right now, and it, but small doses. Me, yeah. Forgive me, I'm going to interrupt again. When, that's enough information to frighten you as a full-grown adult <laughs> when you're a parent of a six-year-old child and you know this child can't figure out those decisions on his or her own. So what, what is, what is going through the mind of a parent who gets this diagnosis and realizes this is going to change our entire lives? Well, I always say this. I mean, I guess we were fortunate because my daughter doesn't remember what life was like before type one. Um, and that is a close age, you know, so those that are older than that, it's such a curveball to have to do this for the rest of your life. And you can't do it alone. It is a team that you have to surround yourself. That's the number one thing we we coach parents on is, you know, now all of a sudden the school nurse is an integral person in your life, right? Or school personnel in general, mm -hmm. friends, family members, they all have to be educated. Mm -hmm. And so when you surround yourself with people that understand and look, children want to do all this on their own, right? They want to. And the goal as a parent and the goal of an endocrinologist is self-management. I guess that's a buzzword mm -hmm. a little bit. You know, ultimately your kid's going to leave the home and they better have the tools and know how to do it, how to manage themselves. So, so again, if they're pretty young, you know, the burden becomes the parents and the school nurse to document all of that data. And you've got to record that. It's actually done with paper and pencil, even to this day, where you're recording it on paper. You're diagnosed when you leave the hospital, they hand you a stack of paper and say, okay, you got to record all this and then fax it. And so every three months, when you have type one as a child, you go in every three months for more in-depth blood work. They look at your data, mm -hmm. bring data, and then they're able to adjust your insulin because as you grow, there are different requirements for insulin. Your body needs typically more as you grow. So without it, without that data, the, the doctor is working with nothing, right? It's just a guess. And so what was, what was the inception of the opportunity? Absolutely. So I, I, I use this phrase often, necessity is the mother of invention. So my wife, Pam, she gets all the credit. She said, hey, there's got to be a better way than this paper and pencil. So give me some time to think about it. And she documented a very rudimentary form of going out on the internet to a website, logging that data and pressing enter. And upon hitting enter, Mom and dad are instantly notified via text and or email. So, and I, I really am simplifying this, but it solved our problem. It solved the school nurse's problem. You know, when the school nurse in the middle of the day has a question, trying to track a parent down, and in many cases saying, eh, it's not that important. She told us that, our school nurse, like, hey, I would want to ask you a question, but I didn't want to bug you. You're both busy professionals. Well, no, you bug us, find us. Well, now we had a tool, right? So, and that really at the end of the day, we always like to say this, we no longer greeted our daughter, Sarah, at the door when she came home from school with, where's the note from the nurse? Where's your logbook? You know, how was your day with diabetes? And we didn't realize we were doing that. All parents do that, even to this day, um, unless we can intervene with our foundation. So, so, yeah, we built this platform, and then we decided to go to Children's Dallas and say, wow, this kind of took hold in our school district. Now we have four or five people on it. We've kind of enhanced it a little bit. You know, why not offer this to every patient that comes through your door? Right. And would you say that the emphasis was more on just helping families that had type 1 diabetes than it was making a profit or making money? 
I'm glad you asked. It was free. It was a free model. Look, free. My, my, my idea was, you know, we've got to get a lot of people on this to prove it has utility, mm-hmm. right? A usefulness. So, you know, then once we know, then we can consider charging. Yeah. Okay. And it was right at this moment that EDS was purchased by Hewlett Packard HP. And as you would suspect during a recession and when a company takes over another company, they start cutting Mm -hmm. jobs. (laughs) And so I survived about a year and in 2009, it caught up to me. So here I am, I'm let go, got a package that could keep me treading water for a little bit. So no job, great recession. Uh, My mother unexpectedly passed away. Venture capitalists weren't spending money. I'm like, what am I going to do? Remember, we were hustling with MyCare Connecting and growing Mm -hmm. it. And we partnered with a large pharmaceutical and expanded the business dramatically. They had deep pockets. We had a solid revenue stream without having to charge families. I was able to hire five people. We, We were. And I'd be remiss. My wife and I are equal partners in this. So mm-hmm. she 100% is, is part of this. So we hired five people. Uh, we were able to, at that time, build an iPhone and Android companion app mm-hmm. of the web-based system. So now the power was in people's hands, right? We could now give this to kids that had phones and trust me, Kids had phones, you know, you, you, a 10 year old has a phone yeah. uh, a lot of times. So that was perfect because really we want to empower kids to be able to self-manage. And so that was a, a, a turning point, that partnership, right? Um, I just want to say you impressed me as someone who's very committed and passionate. And this company is personal for you. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. It's my wife and I have talked to so many families and, and made that impact. We can have the data and we know uh, with, with metrics, but hearing from people, getting letters from people, small donations. We do a fundraiser once a year in November. It is personal to us. And what advice would you give to somebody who is out there working a full-time job and who has this project on the side that's personal to them? What would you say to that person? Well, you you said it's personal. Passion is the secret ingredient. They already have it. So, and and I'm not saying your passions can change. I, I knew I had a passion for uh, giving back, but my passion changed and became hyper-focused on type one. And I would also, like I echoed earlier, patience really is a virtue. Don't expect that it's going to happen. Give of your time now, but just be patient. And I, I hope I also was able to tell you that be prepared to pivot mm-hmm. and, and, and change um, and really perseverance. This is a story of perseverance. You know, so those are all the secret ingredients. Um, I actually realized those are all things with the letter P, passion, patience, pivot, and perseverance. Well, um, I wrote those company down. values. Oh, my Lord, yes. <laughs> so, But that really is um, advice for anybody who's trying to find their way and has a passion. I, and feel free to reach out to me. I'm part of the network. Well, you actually just sort of provided our conclusion. So, I mean, we could ask you your advice. You just gave it to us. So I'm going to say... <laughs> Uh, John, is there anything further that you would like to share with the Crummer community today? Yeah, uh, I would reiterate, use the Rollins network, reach out. And again, I'm just going to say it again. Give of your time and be patient. It will come. Excellent. John Henry, thank you so much for joining us on Crummer Connections and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for giving me the platform. This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with John Henry to get his responses to questions from our panel of Crummer students and alumni. You're listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm 
Sarah Neely. I am an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Crummer has enabled me with hands-on real-world experience that has been translated inside and outside the classroom. I'm very excited for not only the rest of my second year here at Crummer, but also in the future and to come back and visit. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. So in today's Crummer Hour, we're talking with John Henry. He's a Crummer alumnus, he is executive director of the MyCare Connect Foundation, and he serves as current vice president on the Rollins College Alumni Board of Directors. In the first half of the show, we heard John share how his situation made him step up as a parent, shift his career, and redefine his commitment to service. Now in the second half of the show, we have him here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio to have him respond to the questions from our panel of Crummer students and alumni. John, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you back. And also with us, we have our panel of Crummer alumni and students, which includes Terry Castillo, MBA 2021, and Training and Development Manager at the Orange County Clerk of Courts. Hi, how are you guys? We have Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37. Great to be back. Papa Koji, current student in EA MBA 39. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. And as always, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, John, our first question today is about your role as co-founder of MyCare Connect, and that question comes from Papa. Yes, absolutely, John. I've loved hearing the origin stories. Um, and so, as you know, the age-old saying, right, is hindsight is 2020. So I want to ask you, is there anything that you know now that you wish you would have known when you first founded My Care Connect Foundation? Is, what do you wish you would have known? Yeah, good question. Definitely, I would have built a strong board mm. of advisors, uh, board of directors, board of advisors uh, early on because it, it, it took years to kind of have a network of advisors in the industry naturally but i wish i had hustled earlier and said hey we have this great thing and i want to formalize it mm. um, would you be on my board and and just understanding how that all works because some of my peers um, that provide support services to this day have really strong boards um, and mm. i still lack one so um, I wish I had known that early on. You know, if I could do it all over again, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said in that grind and hustle, mm. you know, mm -hmm. that, that you work so hard and and you you built it from the ground up and and you 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 put a lot of miles on, on your car and your your air miles and and I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So definitely yeah. the board. Yeah. I wonder what would you say are some really strong qualities that you were looking for as you started building up your board, maybe tangibles or intangibles? Well, passion in the industry, uh, somebody that's also been there and done that. Um, mm. I have advisors now that are networked in the diabetes community and they open doors. So yeah. I would say, you know, highly, uh, passionate people, um, entrepreneurs are even better. But, you know, I found out quickly in, in the type 1 diabetes space, a lot of the innovations that were created in the last 15 years were done so by parents. Wow. Um, yeah, one of them, I was on a call yesterday uh, with one of the largest hospitals in the country. And uh, this father... Uh, of a child with type one who lives in Silicon Valley, built an incredible, robust, open source platform that takes the data from the, all the different devices and condenses it down into something that doctors can use to, to manage the children so much better. And mind you, you have to be on all these expensive devices, but this is a dad, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and the skills. Yeah. So network people, passionate people, 
um, are, are, are really um, key, key factors, I think. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. Right. Uh, advice and wisdom, innovation, passion, they can come from, from anybody. Right. And that's a, yeah. that's a very good point. Yeah. I was, I was amazed how many things parents have, have done that have led to such innovation. That's Absolutely. amazing. Uh, our next question comes from Terry. Yeah. So keep it in the realm of possibility abilities and what we can do, what we should have done, what we could do in the future. You have the opportunity to start a brand new startup from scratch. Where would you focus your attention? What other industries are you interested in? What kind of startup would you do? Yeah, good question. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I'm thinking about that more and more because, you know, you kind of need an exit strategy. I, 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 you know, not exit like I would leave what I'm doing, but, you know, maybe having somebody take it over. So, well, you know, I love travel as you, as I told y'all, I'm in Mexico right now. And so I love meeting other people, hearing their stories. You know, people have a lot to say. Um, so one thing I've been mulling is starting a YouTube channel with a social impact. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I made this proposal even before YouTube existed to a uh, organization in, in type 1 diabetes. And I said, why don't we film a road trip across the country and we'll do interviews with school nurses families, clinicians, and we'll stop along the way and, and just make visits. And this is kind of before YouTube. And, mm -hmm. and so that, that's something I would love to do is, is start a YouTube channel with that social impact, be able to educate um, and inform others and make it entertaining. Oh, those are really popular. I actually have a few of my favorite travel uh, YouTubers. Sure. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Um, our next question is actually about healthcare technology as an industry. So it, it comes from Papa. Yes. And so we, you talked a little bit about those first early kind of vendor fairs. And I was curious about your network, right? So entrepreneurs definitely benefit from having a wide network of colleagues, but you kind of built a business that addresses a very specific and unique need. So how were you able to find a network of others who were doing something similar to you? Um, and how would you kind of describe the network that you now have? Yeah, we heard that these Friends for Life conference, which was held in Orlando. And this was widely attended. They 1,500 people, you know, guest speakers, industry people. Well, at that event, the founder of this conference said you need to go to the American Diabetes Association conference, the largest one of the largest conferences in the world, and I'll meet you there. Uh, I love what you're doing. Um, and it happened to be in New Orleans that year. He said, hey, come have a, a drink with me and I want to introduce you to some people. And sitting at the table was the at the time the US Surgeon General Ken Mortsugu. And he has type 1 diabetes. He was a guest speaker at this gigantic conference and wow. I was like nervous. I'm sitting down with the U.S. Surgeon General and he he loved our story. My wife and I um, were, were there talking to him and and we really just listened. I was in awe. And, and he said, he said, hey, you need to network here. He said, use the analogy of using dots, D-O-T-S. He, I remember he said it uh, like this, he said, first, you must identify the dots there. There are a lot of dots, but you got to find the dots. And then you have to massage the dots. I mean, this is, again, <laughs> he's, he's Asian. So I'm like, wow, he is imparting this, this, this knowledge, this Far East knowledge to me. And, and then he's like, massage the dots. Um, and then you must connect the dots mm. like, this is going somewhere here so <laughs> um, I think what he meant to say is you know you've got to find the right people um, it may take you a while to identify those dots but once you have them 
you know, work with them, stay in touch with them, let them know how passionate you are about what you're doing and then use their network. Right. So and that's exactly what we did. We He invited us to a dinner that night. And I got to meet two or three more people that told me about another event, right? So as he was telling me this earlier over a cocktail, it, it actually kind of worked at that event. One of the key people we met was Donna Rice. You know, I'll just say she's currently on, on my advisory board and she's an incredible asset because she knows so many people. So no, that was a great answer. Thank you so much. It was it was identify the dots, massage them, and then connect them. I'll, I'm not going to forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> Our next question comes from Kyle. Yeah, John, what, what do you think are the, the greatest challenges that the healthcare technology industry is facing today? Well, specifically, type 1 diabetes um, has an image problem with the cost of insulin, um, it's front and center in Capitol Hill, um, the price of medications and what, what that, uh, that's a challenge because, you know, there's a lot of people that can't afford the medications. So, you know, all the companies that have these expensive devices, you know, they're, they're taking a back seat because you have to have insulin to live. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you don't have to have these products and how that trickles down to me are these Product companies are my partners. You know, they they pay to be in front of my families through our app and and things like that. So that's one kind of challenge our industry is facing. The other, honestly, is technology. T technology has created some issues in pediatrics. Technology, Silicon Valley has made these devices so smart that not only can they Bluetooth data to the cloud real time, but they share the data with, with people real time. And these devices, anytime the child may have a blood sugar spike or a slight drop, you have a nervous parent on the other end looking mm -hmm. at their Apple Watch or their phone getting an alarm, right? And what do they do? They pick up the phone and they call the school nurse or they call the child and they interrupt them. And, and it has created, in some cases, so much stress. It's almost like too much information. And, and these are, are not life-threatening things that are these alarms. But the parent thinks it's serious enough that they have to call. So what happens with the child is... is and I'll use an example. The child's taking a, a test, right? Let's just use a teenager. And their stress hormones are high. Stress hormones can impact blood sugars. And that can set off an alarm. So they're in the class and their device can start beeping and causing, you know, a distraction in the class, right? And then mom calls Maybe dad calls too, because mom doesn't check with dad first. They just see the number and they're calling the kid and he's trying to pray. He or she's trying to press, avoid the call, avoid the call. So mm -hmm. I guess my story is, you know, alarm fatigue, we're seeing a rise in depression and anxiety in kids. And I think more so than anything, it's kids that are wearing all these devices. It, mm -hmm. it, 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 so... It's a great technology to be able to share your data with with other people real time, but for for kids it can be can be tough. So that is a big that's a big challenge uh, we see. And almost every parent I talk to or school nurse, they're like, "Oh my god, I'm neurotic because of all this data that I'm getting all day, and I can't mm -hmm. I can't put the phone down." You know, it's like a compelling TikTok. You know, they <laughs> keep looking at it. Um, I get it, but that's that that's that's a good example of a challenge Silicon Valley has. Definitely things to be mindful of for sure. Yeah. You're listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is John Henry, co-founder of the MyCare Connect Foundation, and we'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Guy Fagan, an early advantage MBA student at the Cromer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. 
My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Tau Cap Absalom fraternity, and I was also a member of the varsity men's tennis team. Crummer has an amazing reputation in the area, so it was a no-brainer. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer alum, John Henry, and with us we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about John's career. Um, so the next thing I wanna do is actually play a little game with you. We're gonna play some Crummer Insider Free Association. <laughs> <No>. so, <laughs> so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a series of prompts, and I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind, um, and yeah, let's just jump right in. You ready to play? <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, limber up. I'm ready. All right, all right. So, John, I started my Crummer education in the year 1988. I finished classes and graduated in the year 1990. Um, there were this many students in my cohort. I would say between 80 and 100. Wow. Uh, my cohort was known for being desperate for a job. <laughs> in... <laughs> we were in a recession in 1990, mind you. The thing that made the greatest impression on me during my education was? At Crummer, I took, um, I don't even know if I mentioned this earlier, but I, I took a law class and I was so impressed with that class, I almost considered going to law school. Wow. Yeah. My favorite professor was? Oh my gosh. If you're out there and you were the teacher in 1990 in marketing, I loved you. <laughs> Perfect answer. Um, during my experience at Crummer, my greatest time management lesson was? Don't procrastinate. Uh, <laughs> and network with with the with the smart kids wonderful well congratulations you you finished crummer insider free association you did great great Good Lord. <laughs> I one. that's okay that's passing great yeah yeah perfect at least to be right <laughs> yeah. so our next set of questions is about personal and professional development and the first question here comes from kyle all right. Yeah, John, you mentioned that you are always trying to identify with your kids generation and I'll give a brief shout out to JT right here on the air. But what yeah. what do you what do you do to continue learning about and connecting with younger generations and then how does this influence your work on the Rollins Alumni Board? Okay. So, I'll start. I actually read a book recently by Jean Twang. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing your last name right, but it's T W E N G E and and the name of the book is Generation Me: Why Today's Young Americans Are More Confident, Assertive, Entitled, and more miserable than ever before. Uh, so it was a 400-page book. And and really, honestly, I learned a lot because the premise of the book was all people of, I'd say, born in 1990 forward, their own surveys and interviews. It was themselves um, basically reporting back their attitudes uh, about jobs. And in 400 pages, I learned a lot. So um, identifying with the younger generation for me is easy. My son, JT, as you mentioned, just turned 27. My daughter turned 25. And we have a 14-year-old. So actually, wait, he just turned 15. So... <laughs> Um, I, I, I get to hang out and, you know, hear what's going on. I'm involved a lot with my 15 year old in various activities. So, you know, I just keep up. Um, and frankly, we, we talk to a lot of people, um, at the foundation, a lot of parents, and mm -hmm. we hear a lot of what's going on from their perspective, um, just a lot. A lot of times a parent will call us and, and talk briefly about diabetes, but then they kind of go on to a, a B session about how their teen is 
not listening to them and not managing their diabetes. And I said, well, that's just a team thing, right? So, <laughs> so you know, just just with what we do every day and, and, and speaking with parents, um, that helps to kind of understand the, the younger generation. Um, our next question comes from Papa. Yes, John. So speaking of the younger generation, you mentioned that you're currently auditing a class at Crummer now. So I'd love to know what's it like coming back uh, since you graduated? What are some similarities, maybe some differences? I'd love to hear about it. Well, I'm virtual, of course, um, being in Dallas. So that in itself is new. The fact that I can see the classroom, the classroom didn't change. I recognize the room they're in <laughs> um, for sure. Um, and I had a few classes in that exact room. Um, it's the one that's kind of auditorium style uh, upstairs, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and so the whole virtual experience, classroom experience is amazing. I would say what's also amazing is that there's some global students that are piped in virtually as well. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, honestly, I'm so impressed with the caliber of these students. I feel like, you know, there might have been, you know, 25 or 30 people you know, I was impressed with as a whole when I was there, like, wow, these people are amazing. And pretty much everybody in that class I'm impressed with, um, specifically my team that took on my Care Connect as a case study. They're, they're, they're really good. And, and honestly, on the board, you know, the, the um, grad, uh, undergrad there at Rollins, um, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. We obviously have some students represented on the board, but we get unique opportunities to uh, work with and speak with students when we're there for board meetings. I've sat in on classes pre-COVID. And, and so, yeah, I'm really impressed. That's, that's what's changed maybe. Rollins <laughs> <laughs> is doing a good job recruiting um, and being pretty selective. And amazing to hear that. <laughs> well, next... You're a perfect example. Come on. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Aww. Nice. That, that one's going on the on the fridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, our next question comes from Terry. Yeah. So speaking of the younger generation, I just graduated a couple of what is it? couple months ago. So I've had, I've had my MBA for a while, but we're always looking for a bigger paycheck. Right. Um, and sometimes we also want a job that fulfills us. So giving your story specifically your path, can you share your point of view on this challenge? If we can't have both, should an MBA focus on a paycheck or should they focus on fulfillment? Well, when I graduated during a recession, I went for the paycheck. And, and, and probably like a lot of kids today, you know, you you don't necessarily know what what you want to do, right? So mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm good at marketing, and I get it, and I feel a little bit excited about it. But there's a job offer from IBM, you know, um, and and that's it. So you know, if you are obviously lucky enough to have more than one offer on the table. Um, you would go with the one that's going to be more fulfilling and not chase the dollar. But, but, but in my experience, everybody that I know that is an entrepreneur that isn't born and raised or moved to Silicon Valley started out doing something different, way different in many cases. (laughs) Um, And something happens in their life that is dramatic or really forces them to pivot and they have a passion for it. And so I guess I'd lean more towards, you know, take a job, take take what's going to at that time fulfill you the most. And it might be that, you know, you want to get that paycheck because then maybe when you get more stable, financially, you're willing to take more risks, right? You could go either way. That's why a lot of entrepreneurs 
and people decide they want to start businesses and everything are empty nesters. You know, they hit midlife and then they do it and they look back and they're like, wow, I wish I had done this earlier. Well, you were needing money (laughs) (laughs) back with your parents and there's nothing wrong with that by the way. Um, But, but yeah, so it's, I would, yeah. Did I even answer that? You did. You did. You did. Because I love shoes and I can still do my entrepreneurship on the side with having like you did, because you did that. You and your wife were both working, if I if I remember correctly, while you were building your business. So it's definitely doable. Yeah, it's always you'll find the time if you have the passion. Yeah, I love that. Great. Our next our next question comes from Papa. Yes, John. Uh, so similar in the similar type of vein, what is your advice to students, right, who may not even they're not even at this decision yet, money or heart. They don't even know which direction to do for their career. What is your advice or maybe some encouragement that you would give to a student who, who might be in that situation? Well, I wouldn't doubt that a lot of students are in that situation. Um, mm. You know, it's it's tough today. If you're lucky enough to get a job that you're unsure of and you may evolve into really liking it, well, you're not alone <laughs> for one. <laughs> Uh, and again, I think I said it before, just, you know, take that job and know that the way the industry is today, employers would hate me saying this as advice, but (laughs) more likely than not, you're going to, you're not, that's not going to be the job you retire, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with. And so know that, um, you know, you're only going to learn each job that you have. So um, I think it's I think it's rare for somebody today to find a job that they love and they stay there their whole career. You know, I bet my life that's that's one in a million these days. So mm-hmm. um, take the job that seems the most interesting to you and don't be upset that it's not that you haven't decided what the heck you want to do. <laughs> It'll come well. to you. Sure. Thank you so much. I I really love that advice because for me that, I mean, for me that really resonates because I did just have to take the jobs that would get me the money. But every time I took a new job, I did learn something from it. So I love that you're calling that out and it's not permanent. I'm not stuck there. I can move on, you know, at any point. Um, So yeah, I think that's really great advice. So Unfortunately, we do have to bring the session to a close. So we're we're on the final question already. Um, and this is about your closing message. What do you want to say to the Crummer community? Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Um, I love the fact that I can, you know, use uh, and stay connected to uh, my alma mater, um, both undergrad mm-hmm. and graduate. Um, and so my closing, um, thought or advice, whatever you want to call it is stay connected with your Rollins community, whether it's coming to reunion or, you know, I know we're coming out with a new app that's going to connect people, um, so that we can network even better and then, and then be a lifelong learner. It's, it's part of the mission of, of, of the school, right? We want to be lifelong learners. So if you have an opportunity to take a night course or go get your executive MBA or audit a course, keep learning. Um, and I think Rollins is a great place to start. So you use that resource. Thank you. That's wonderful. So with that, I want to say John Henry, executive director of the My Care Connect Foundation and current VP of the Rollins College Alumni Board. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour. Thank you for having me. It was fun. I'd also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business, Terry Castillo, Kyle Sawyer, and Papa Kochi. Thanks for having us. This is great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now's a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, innovative, responsible business leader. 
To learn more about the programs and the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, please follow us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show was created by J.B. Adams, executive produced by Gerard Mitchell, and hosted by Clara Mount. Our showrunner is Kyle Sawyer with production assistance by Rachel O'Brien and audio design by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. Until next time, Fiat Lux.